Hello, my friends, and welcome back Title Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer who's got my head to the side, turning away from the microphone and adjusting my uh, my slider, my fader, my mic fader here, and also my volume controls. I was on the road yesterday with my equipment, and I did an episode that will air on the 29th of uh, I'm gonna say August uh, of uh, whatever month this is January, and it's for my um, radio show, Farm Machinery Digest Radio, and on uh, Sirius XM. But also, you could go to my website about a week to ten days after it airs, and you could find it there. And I was on the road over to Emmy Wagner, Emmy Wagner Performance, about sixty miles away. They're out by Pocono Raceway in Pennsylvania. And uh, the reason why I'm telling you this is that I did a show there about their adjustable PCV valve. It's a, um, a PCV valve that is adjustable, has a dual circuit for both idle and cruise, and then you could adjust the flow and the response. And there's a lot of engines that have problems, drivability problems, oil leaks, smells of oil issues that are caused by crank, poor crankcase ventilation. But anyway, why I'm telling you that is that I recorded over at their facility and it's a different room so all of my settings were off or most of them were off and then i realized that as i just started to record that's why i was fidgeting with everything but welcome once more and i hope everything is going well for you in your life and in your farm or ranch operation and if you're not a farmer or rancher in whatever you do and uh Hopefully those areas that were very cold have warmed up and uh, you're getting, hopefully, God willing, you're getting some rain where you need it and some snow and where you don't need it, you're not getting it, right? It's been a little bit on the chilly side here, not too bad. It was zero yesterday morning when I left, well, I shouldn't say when I left to go to, I mean, Wagner, but when I got up and went out in the morning, you know, interestingly enough, and... I, and I'm, I tell you these stories because there's, it's, there's a method to my madness. I want to try to um, present to you a thought process that you may not have. And that no disrespect whatsoever, everybody has different thought processes. And if you look at something just like, uh, you know, if I were to talk to a, a dentist, he would explain something to me and say, oh my God, I, I, con- I applied conventional wisdom to that and that was wrong. So that's all why I share this stuff with you. So we had, the other day was three below, we had two below, and then zero. But they weren't in succession. We had a break in between where it was maybe 10 or 12 degrees in the morning, that bad. So my car is garage kept my Fiesta, and my Ranger is garage, well, normally garage kept, and my wife's Escape is garage kept. But during the winter time, if we're gonna if we're gonna have some snow, I take the Ranger outside and I put my my New Holland tractor. It's a smaller tractor in the garage with the bucket and with the blade on, so I could plow my way out. And then once the snow goes away, put the tractor away in the shed. I use sea containers for sheds. They work out very, very well. And plus in New Jersey, I don't need any permits for them and there's no taxes on it. So I'll put the the, uh, the tractor back in the sea container and then I will put my Ranger back in the garage. I don't like leaving the Ranger out, but I also need to have access to the tractor. And a tractor has no cab. It's an open platform. So I don't want to leave it out in the cold and the snow and uh, just not too comfortable brushing snow off and trying to plow snow with it. Even though our garage is not heated, but it's still much better than being in the snow. But anyway, so what happened is that I start the Fiesta, and then I go into town right across from the M&M Candy Factory, maybe a quarter of a mile away from being across from it. And you go from the mountain down into Hackettstown. We're at like 1,052 feet in Hackettstown. It's like 300 feet elevation. And there's a place where I go for for breakfast in the morning. It's called Speedy Mart. And I get there probably about 5 o'clock in the morning. And then from there, I drive out to the TA truck stop in Columbia. And I go for my walk and and just collect my thoughts. And then I take Route 46, which is a secondary back road, back to the farm. And then I start to do my work. So anyway, the reason why I'm telling you this, it's, it has a meaning. So I start the Fiesta, obviously starts it up, no problem. And I drive down into town to go to the Speedy Mart. And I get to the Speedy Mart and I put the car in park. 
and I noticed that the idle was hanging a little bit high, probably about 1,200 RPM. And at that particular point, idle about 750, 800. And then what I was able to glean was that which as and i did calibrations for years and i don't know whether you know why they did this there must have been some method to with their madness but historically what will happen and this is a drive-by wire car which most probably everything the past 10 or 15 years is drive-by wire there's no throttle cable so they actually used the throttle the drive-by wire motor the throttle motor to increase the engine speed and compensate for load and what have you versus years back on fuel injection they would have either an auxiliary air valve which is usually a dithering duty cycle type of valve and or they would have a stepper motor gm and chrysler used to use stepper motors and ford used a uh <clears throat> bypass valve auxiliary air bypass a dithering valve so anyway to control the idle speed but so obviously <clears throat> what's happening in the not that something's happening in the calibration uh to get back on track was that so historically the the coolant temperature is what is going to command the idle speed so if you were to start an engine and it's 20 degrees below zero and it starts it's going to have a higher idle speed until the coolant comes up to temperature than it would be on a 60 degree day or 70 degree day or a 40 degree day or 30 degree day so obviously what ford is doing in this particular calibration is not only they're looking at the coolant the coolant was basically it's about two miles away and according to the gauge i didn't have my scanner and according to that gauge the coolant was basically warm i was getting some some slight discharge heat from the heater duct so i'm not going to say was it 190 or 200 degrees but it wasn't it was i would say probably maybe 160 170 but obviously what they're doing is they're also looking at the intake air temperature and using that as an input into that algorithm to kick the idle speed higher now the car's got 205,000 miles on so you could, you may be thinking wait in 205,000 miles you never figured this out <laughs> and well the reason why i never figured it out is that prior to this i would start the car come to the end of cat swamp road make a left on route 517 and go to route 80 so i would not come to an idle till i went to the truck stop 22 miles away so this is only approximately two miles from the farm and on a day colder than zero i mean warmer than zero or so one or two degrees is that it doesn't do that so keep that in mind it's good always good for you to pay attention to how your equipment operates and specifically something that has some sort of electronic control strategy whether it's a modern diesel or whether it's a well, gasoline engine obviously but you know it could be a diesel in a, in a pickup truck it could be in a farm tractor it could be whatever but you'll be able to get a telltale sign of what's going on. and you'll learn the calibration that way and you become more intimate with it and the more intimate you become with it not only will is that a plus as far as just just getting to know it better but it's a diagnostic step so if you say to yourself okay fine let's say now arguably it's a 70 degree day and i do the same scenario now my idle speed is hanging up 11 1200 rpm then one of the things that i would immediately check is to see whether the air temperature sensor which in this particular instance is part of the mass airflow sensor is registering properly or uh, like uh, uh, most mass airflow sensors have an air temperature sensor in them and if you don't clean that i always clean my mass airflow sensor i use the crc mass airflow sensor cleaner so not only to clean the sensing wire but to clean the temperature bulb so let's say arguably i get some dirt on that bulb some from i know i mean dirt from airborne dirt and it could skew it and then i could be having a high idle no service engine suit light because it's in the parameters yet and well, so like i say it's always good <clears throat> you know that's the experience that life gives you and you all have experiences in your own life in your own farm but what i want you to do is pay more attention to your machinery because the more attention that you pay to your machinery it could be just an fyi or a data point but possibly down the road or it may help you in a particular situation and if not if you're a wacko like me then it's just fun understanding all of this and saying wow look how they did that in that calibration well that's how it does it in this particular weather or scenario but 
Before I move on in today's show, now that I probably bored you with that and say, well, this hot rod farmer is some wacko. He's running around looking at calibrations. Wait till you get in today's show and see what we're going to be looking at. But I want to give a shout out and a thank you to two listeners for two more pins in my map. And it's Mr. John Bosch, Bosch like the, uh, like the, um, uh, not the tire company, the, uh, uh, geez, what's Robert Bosch, right? They make fuel injectors, they make ECUs, the electronics company, uh, automotive and machinery electronics. So John Bosch, and he's from Tiverton, Ontario. And I communicated with him and he and his son will, <clears throat> they have a farm there. And they also do, uh, they have a few hundred acres that they farm. And then they also do custom farming in about another 1,500 acres. So they're basically collectively running about 17, 1,800 acres there in Tiverton. And I looked it up, you know, when I put my pin in the map and then I communicated with John. And they're not too far from Lake Huron. So that's a beautiful, beautiful neck of the woods over there in Ontario. And I have a just a passion for the Great Lakes. I just love the Great Lakes. So that's Mr. John Bosch. And then there's Mr. Mike Olson. And he's out in the Great Plains. He's in Prairie Village, Kansas. And he listens from Prairie Village, Kansas. And he is outside of uh, Kansas City someplace. So uh, that's not a bad place to be outside any city, right? As long as you're not in the city. But even if you are, <clears throat> that's your cup of tea. That's wonderful. And it's just not my cup of tea. So thank you so much, Mr. Bosch and Mr. Olson, for pinning my map. And if you want to pin in, if, if, I, if you would be gracious enough to give me a pin in my map of where you listen from so I could have know where my audience is, and then I will reciprocate by not only announcing your name on the radio and in my show on Sirius XM, Rural Radio Channel 147, Farm Machinery Digest Radio, but also to put you in the drawing for the Hot Rod Farmer license plate. And we're getting close to getting that finalized. I'm going to be working with my art director, Susan Moore, kicking around some ideas, and hopefully we get that finalized and we'll get that into production very soon. And as I said, we're going to put every name in a drawing. <clears throat> the drawing is we're going to give away two license plates a week, and it has nothing to do with when you sent me that pin. So you're going to be in the box, and we'll just keep, and if you somebody who wins, then we take their name out of the box. You keep the pin in the map, and then, and then next week we pull out two more names and uh, go from there. And I think Allie, my, the kitten, Allie the alligator, said she's going to go in there and she's going to mix them all up to make sure that it's fair. All right, so that is basically it. All you have to do is, reach out to me at hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com. But, <clears throat> excuse me. So what I'm going to talk about today, and hopefully it brings some value to you, is the need to measure things. To, to, I, let me put, let me, let me back up. The need to measure usage. And what I mean by usage is energy usage. And it's very, very important for you to measure the energy usage of everything that you, or I should say the majority of things that you own, your equipment, your to, uh, your tractors, your vehicles, whatever it may be, all right? So I'm not, I'm, and it's important for you to measure that because energy usage, whether it's fuel economy on your pickup truck or whether it's the amount of diesel fuel your combine is using or the amount of electricity your washing machine is using is a is the canary in the coal mine for something going wrong well you got to remember i'm a numbers guy so so it's it's very it it's not hard for me to want to assign numbers to things but also <clears throat> i want you to use the mindset of a businessman even if farming and agriculture is not your business, you do something else. All right, maybe you're in the work for a seed company or you're an agronomist or maybe you drive a truck or possibly you work in a factory, you work in an office, it's irrelevant. But the thing is that any smart businessman makes a decision based upon numbers. And when we're talking about diagnostics, a good deal of diagnostics or diagnostic protocols 
are based upon energy usage because if you have a higher level of energy usage in most instances that is a telltale sign the canary in the coal mine is instead of something going wrong so let's say arguably you are monitoring the energy usage on your washing machine and you say how am i going to do that <clears throat> well i well we'll get into that later on in the show and you can do that very very simply so you're monitoring the energy usage on your washing machine and you're measuring how many amps it pulls so remember everything works electrically works on watts volts times amps equals watts and you're measuring how many watts it's using and then you say okay this and i'm going to throw arbitrary numbers and let's and i'm going to give you easy numbers instead of actual numbers because actual numbers may work out to be a decimal so let's say arguably your washing machine draws 10 amps and it averages 10 amps to its wash cycle it's probably going to use a little bit more in the spin it's maybe not going to use so much on the agitate what have you so it, it averages about 10 amps let's say and if you check your line voltage and your line voltage is 120 volts then you then that washing machine is using 1200 watts volts times amps equals watts so now if you know it so it's, yeah, it uses about 1200 1250 1170 depending upon how much it's loaded what have you <clears throat> so you got a basic idea right so you say this thing runs about 1200 watts and now you look at it one day and it's drawing 1350 watts so you say all right well that's going to be a data point i'm going to keep in my mind did did you know i'll say to myself hey did charlotte really load this bad boy up and and that's why it, it drew more wattage and then they could say well let me look inside when it's done say it doesn't seem to be ever exceptionally loaded so who knows at that point we're going to keep that in the back of my mind and then the next time we do the laundry i look at it and it's drawing 1325 watts and the next time it's drawing 1350 next time it's drawing 12, it's drawing 1290 well what that is telling me is that there is something going wrong because it is drawing more watts volts times amps the voltage is fixed so the current draw could go up and that's what's going to create generate the higher wattage so maybe the motor is going bad maybe there's a bearing going bad at that particular point i'm not saying you dive into the washing machine and start to rip it apart but it is a telltale sign of what is going on and it is very very important because you could say to yourself well i'm going to keep an eye on it because this is something that's that's that that may be a problem down the road <clears throat> so using that so i'm using that as an analogy is that it's going to show you what's going on so what i have is a i made a little bit of a list here and to see what uh different things that i suggest that you should be mindful of their energy usage so the first thing that we're going to start because it's a hot rod farmer right so we're going to talk about anything with an engine and i don't care whether it's a car whether it's a truck whether it's an irrigation pump whether it's a combine whether it's a sprayer whatever it may be it has an internal combustion engine regardless of its gasoline or diesel now on my vehicles i check the get the fuel economy on every tank and a lot of modern most modern vehicles today especially road vehicles and a lot of farm tractors and there's be there'll be different metrics as far as measuring scales the word metric is as far as how are you going to how the fuel usage is is identified right so you may have on a car in the united states will go gram will go uh, gallons miles per gallon and then in uh I, I believe in canada and in europe they go uh, i think how many hundred uh something liters per kilometer i think it's i think it's just liters per kilometer so whatever the metric may happens to be on your farm tractor it may be not going to be miles it may be hours per gallon so and if you have a a, a boiler that that runs on oil so you have an oil burner it's going to be you know gallons per gallons per hour on what the nozzle is so it's all so there's different metrics and i just want to say that you need to become familiar with those metrics on electricity it's going to be watts so why so why is it important for you to check the fuel economy well the fuel economy as i said with using the washing machine as an example it's going to give you a lot of data 
and I, uh, I check it every time on every tank. So I always fill up my tanks, and then I check my fuel economy. Now, as a, as a break away for a moment, most newer vehicles, as I start to say, <clears throat> have some sort of fuel economy indicator, that digital indicator that they'll tell you to range the miles per gallon. It's very important on every fill-up that you reset that. So some vehicles have a cumulative effect, and then that tank full. So depend, my cars only have the fuel economy it, it's it you make it cumulative if you never reset it so whenever i fill up with gasoline i always reset the trip odometer and i reset the calculations for the fuel economy because i want the fuel economy for that tank and that driving environment now keep in mind that the way that works and for the most part they're very very accurate if you keep resetting them with every tank full so if you're a partial fill guy, this is really not going to work too much, too accurately. It'll be accurate, but it'll be like close, like, you know, like horseshoes. So, uh, but it's not going to be very, very accurate. And the way those systems work is that they look at the injector pulse width versus the mileage that the vehicle was is being was driven. Because all of the modern vehicles have, <clears throat> vehicle speed sensors and they have internal clocks in the ecu so they're able to monitor the speed the running time and the uh the distance so they put that all together and they know what the flow rate of the fuel injector is and part of their algorithm is they look at the injector pulse width so they're looking constantly looking at the injector pulse width i'm just clearing my throat excuse me okay i'm back they're going to look at the injector pulse width and they know what the flow rate of the injector is that they also know what the specific gravity more or less specific gravity will vary with gasoline but more or less what the mandated specific gravity is for unleaded gasoline and they'll be able to put that all into this algorithm and they could very accurately calculate the fuel economy based upon that and uh so that is but you need to always reset it so it could start with a metaphorically with a clean slate and then you could have some very good data so i do that and then the other thing that i also do when i get a new car new vehicle is that then again most vehicles today have some sort of low fuel light or they give you so many miles to empty and a low fuel light some sort of telltale is that i i always let the run the tank all the way down to the low fuel light comes on and then i fill it up and then i say okay and so it's a brand new vehicle i know nothing about it so i know let's say arguably i use my fiesta because i'm intimate with the numbers as a 12.8 gallon fuel tank so i know that the low fuel light comes on when the tank when the when it will take about between 9.7 and 10.2 gallons so that means I have about 2.5 gallons left when the low fuel light comes on. So when I get the car and it's new, the first three or four tanks, I will do that. Rip, check it, rip, check it, right? And then I know that when that low fuel light comes on, then I, then I average out that. And you don't have to do this in a paper and pencil. It's more of a mental note. So the low fuel light comes on. Say, all right, the low fuel light comes on. And I look at my odometer. I say, okay, low fuel light comes on, all right, and um, I, I and I know that I have about two, two and a half gallons left, so let's say two gallons for easy arithmetic, and if I'm getting 40 miles per gallon, which I get closer to 50, but let's say 40 miles per gallon, I have a, at least 80 miles for it to, that I could go before I will run out of fuel, and that's very, very comforting for someone that is, uh, travels a lot into places that you're not familiar with so i go travel a lot for business so i'm in different towns different parts of the country i'm in iowa i'm in nebraska i'm in uh, michigan i'm in ohio and pennsylvania so if i'm running down the road and boom that low fuel light pops on because i i didn't buy gas 100 miles back and i say okay fine that i know i have i'm getting about 50 miles per gallon we'll say two gallons i have at least two gallons left i got 100 miles <clears throat> and then i see the sign on the road five miles down the road that says keokuk iowa 22 miles 
well, I know I have a good 75 miles of range. I'm not driving white and knuckle thinking I'm going to run out of gas any minute because of that. And the same thing as my wife. My wife, would, I did the same thing with her escape. So she'll be coming home from work, which is 50 miles away on I-80. I saw the low, I didn't buy gas, the low fuel light came on. I said, the honey, where are you? You know what I'm saying? So I said, I'm over here. I said, you're only 20 miles from the farm. You got nine, at least 90 miles at your consumption, right? Don't worry about it. Enjoy the music, drive safely, and fill it up when you get off the highway. So that is something that, you know, <clears throat> by measuring, you know what's going on. And you could basically do, uh, uh, let me, I'll talk about tractors a little bit later. Oh, hello, Donald. Donald just came here. So, uh, hey, Donnie. So uh, don't walk on my podcast machine like you did last time. So <laughs> the cat is here. He was sleeping and the alligator is outside. So anyway, <clears throat> So it's very, very important. It gives you a good peace of mind as far as that's concerned. And by watching the fuel economy, you will be able to determine over time, you know, whether something is degrading in the tune of the engine. Is the oxygen sensor starting to degrade, right? Do I, do you, do I, is there a brake that's maybe dragging slightly? Is, uh, is the um, tire pressure low? especially like in the winter, because remember, every for every 10 degrees Fahrenheit, you're going to lose one pound of pressure. So if your tire pressure was, let's say, 32 at 70 degrees, that's zero degrees, right? So it's going to be 32 minus 7, all right, minus 7, so it's going to be 25. And I know on my particular car, because I got a couple of flat tires, that the tire pressure warning goes on at about 24 and a half. So you're right there. So all of this comes into play. So it's a very good telltale. And then also you could determine whether you got a, a load of gas that has a low density because the density of the fuel is going to definitely impact the fuel economy. So the car will run fine, but it'll use the engine will run fine, maybe a pickup truck. But you, you say, hey, whenever I, like I know there's a couple of stations here in town that if I buy fuel from them, I historically get two or three miles per gallon less. <clears throat> so by checking my fuel economy, I'm able to determine it's a diagnostic thing. Hey, should I check? I better check my tire pressures. I better go out there next time I go for, you know, get out of the car, feel the, feel the, the rims that are the brakes starting to drag a little bit. All right, so all of these things come into play. It's all data points. And, you know, that's life's experiences. These data points is what makes you experience. It's like you would say a guy, you get a young guy out of school, he's mechanic school, and, you know, he says, I know how to do this, I know how to do that, and he goes and he breaks every bolt because he doesn't have the finesse of feeling the bolt and then loosening the bolt up and then running it back out, putting some penetrant in working. He just goes, he knows how to swing a ratchet, so he thinks he's a mechanic. So all of these things come in come into play now you could do the same thing with your farm equipment now a lot of farm equipment has larger farm equipment will give you gallons per hour usage or what have you but you could also know by when you fill it up now i my tractor is diesel but i don't have on farm diesel because less than two miles away is a shell station so I never invested in on-farm diesel because I don't use that much. And I didn't want to have the hassles and I'd rather always get fresh fuel. So I just drive the tractor down the road to the Shell station and I fill it up and I put my additive and I come back. But the same thing would happen is that if, you know, if you were to record your hours and then say, okay, I filled it up at the Shell station and I know I filled right up to this brim, you know, brim in the, in the fuel tank, right one ring below the, the top of the, the, where the cap goes on, whatever indicator you want, and I look at the pump, then I could determine how many, you know, what, what is my usage per gallons per hour. And then again, that's a telltale sign of what is happening. It's, it's, and to me, it's a lot of fun because I get to see what's going on, and I really like that. And like as I said in the beginning of the show, it is a, uh, it is a canary in the coal mine of what's happening. So it's like taking a sap test on a plant before the leaves start to turn yellow. So you could un, uh, feel, figure out what's going on. And I do the same thing with my heating system. We burn we burn oil, right? Uh, heating oil, which is basically number two diesel fuel. And when I fill up the tank, and I always fill up my tank, and, and I guess you don't have to go crazy with this. And I record, 
I recorded in my checkbook uh, when I bought the fuel, how many gallons I took, and then I, and and then I go backwards and say, okay, fine. It was so many days, and I divide the days by the gallons, just like you would fuel economy. And you know, you could do this if you have propane. You could do this if you have natural gas. All right, it's going to be a little bit different metric, but you get billed for the natural gas. You get billed for the propane, so you know what the usage is. Yes, it's going to be a little bit different than gallons. And I figure out, so I know, like when do, we use our boiler for to make hot water and to make heat. So I know during the summer, during the summer, we probably run just about eight tenths to 1.1 gallons uh per day so that's to make hot water and uh and that's it so and then once i start to get into the heating season depending upon obviously how cold it is it starts to you know it uh it goes up to about you know it starts to ramp up and gets about three gallons a day then in the dead of winter like it's been cold here i mean relative terms not montana or saskatchewan cold but zero two degrees below in the morning only 15 16 degrees 17 degrees high during the day so i'll now i'll start the crowd high threes maybe four gallons and the most i've ever used on this boiler it's a wild mclean gold with a beckett gun on it beckett burner is that the most i ever used was like 5.2 gallons a day in my math as far as didn't check it on a daily basis based upon how many days in my oil felt. So, and that was a few years ago, and it was, and it, in the uh, air, the air shutter moved a little bit on it. So when Tony came and came to work, it was five years ago exactly, is that, uh, <clears throat> and she was running slightly rich. So, I mean, you're not going to go nuts for two tenths of a gallon a day, and it may be just because your wife used more hot water. But the fact of the matter is, all of this data it becomes in your mind they just it, it, it's a mental note i don't sit down i in my checkbook i do record how many gallons per day i burn so i know i just just for the heck of it and but i know i have a record and even like this last time i said to charlotte we got oil last week and i i said to that i said you know this time of year i said it's probably burning high threes just under four gallons a day so um I, I said that's what it should come come out to and i did the math and I came out to 3.9 gallons now what i also did early on with my boiler and is that i ran it out of oil and i ran it out of oil and i marked on the gauge on the gauge where with magic marker where it runs out of oil so last week <clears throat> when i called for oil we had a little bit more than an eighth of a tank <clears throat> i don't want to let it get down that low but things just got out of control and so that's why Shaw said oh we're gonna run out of oil so i said no i said we're not gonna run out of oil because we should probably be burning just under four gallons a day it's a 275 tank i said it's about 36 gallons all right 36 gallons uh uh and and then if we i know it's not at the point where the float goes where the magic marker is the mark I made when it runs out of oil. So what I basically did is, like I said years ago, just like it, I ran it out of oil, I took a magic marker, I marked the gauge, the sight glass, so I know when the float hits there because you lose resolution. It goes between eighth and empty, and you say, well, is it really out of fuel or not out of fuel? So I said, let me mark this so I know. I never run it out of fuel, but I wanted to run it out of fuel one time so I could check the accuracy of the gauge. And even if the gauge is not accurate, it makes no difference. I just know that where it is, is what it's going to be and that's it and if it's uh, the oil man can't come today i'm not sitting here white knuckled biting my knuckles because i know i got 35 gallons approximately 35 gallons left based upon my usage and what i see on my gauge and the marking so that's the way i calibrated the gauge all right so like i said you could think i'm nuts <clears throat> same thing is going back to my boiler because this is all part of farming right you got a boiler in the house you got a boiler in the shop you got a chicken coop you got a i mean you got a hen house what whatever this is all part of it so it's farm machinery digest all this machinery is part of farm is that we run a, a pressure gauge on my boiler so we run a pressure gauge right out of the pump so we have a permanent gauge in there liquid filled gauge nice gauge and my and a newer well my boiler runs 100 pounds of pressure 
So the flow of my nozzle is based upon 100 pounds of pressure. So I could constantly go over there when the boiler runs and look down there and see, okay, what the pressure is. Okay, we're at 100 pounds, good. So now I see, hey, now let's say if it's 110 pounds, well, I know something is going wrong. Did the adjustment go off or what's happening here? Or if it's a 90 pounds, I say, geez, what's going on? We're starting to get a restriction. So like I say, it's like having instrumentation in a vehicle, instrumentation in a tractor in an aircraft. You look at it, say, well, okay, everything looks good, right? Everything looks good. So by instrumenting this stuff, we're taking readings and specifically of energy usage is that it's going to really give tell you what is what is going on now i did the same thing with my briggs and stratton uh portable generator i have for the house all right um they give you they tell you i think they i forgot what they said it burns uh i don't remember anymore but but that was under probably 60, I think they do the math on 60 or 70% load. So that would be about 7,000 watts because it's 10,000 watts. And I'm not going to put 7,000 watts out. All right. So, but I did the math and I know that I ran it out. I checked the, ran it out of fuel, checked the gauge. All right. And did all this, did everything on there. And I know based upon the electrical load that I would normally run in the house, which be in the wintertime would be the heater and did the boiler some lights the well pump the well pump uh the heated water bowls for the cats and for the chickens and uh and the refrigerator and the freezer so i know <clears throat> with that electrical load on that briggs that it'll burn about 0 0.78 0 0.74 about three quarters of a gallon an hour so so under that load and maybe excuse me no no uh, 4.48 about a little bit less than a half a gallon per hour which is supposed to have a 7.8 gallon tank so i figured seven so i know with that electrical load i could run 14 15 hours with one tank of gas and then i keep you know an extra 10 gallons on the side two five gallon cans so i know if i have the if the generator is full and then I have 10 gallons on the side. So if I could run 15 hours on that, and I could run another 20 hours on what I have in storage for it, then I got 35 or 40 hours of straight running time without shutting it off to keep, so in case the power goes out. So that's, then again, that's a comfort because you know, and I start, and then if something starts to, my rate, my fuel usage goes up, then I'd say, okay, fine, is it up? Because charlotte is running the washing machine well that's fine but like i say it's an idea of just knowing knowing what is going on it's very 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 important and uh now the other thing is that if you want to monitor electrical usage there are these now i've spoken about this probably a year or two ago on this show is that i have a little monitor and it's actually made for rvs and so you plug it into the wall. I keep it plugged in all the time in the kitchen, and it did. It flashes back and forth. It cycles back and forth between amps, not excuse me, between cycles per second, hertz, and voltage. So I know that the power from the power company varies between 117 JCPNL, which is first energy, between 117 and sometimes up to 125. But that's rare. Usually between 116, 117, and 122. So that's the range that and if i think it updates every second so it's constantly flashing between so one update is voltage line voltage next update is frequency hertz line voltage for hertz so toggles back and forth it's digital and you could keep it plugged in all the time and i keep it plugged in the kitchen so i always go look at it so i know and so what's going on there so i know what the voltage is coming into the into the house in the garage or your farm shop or if your dairy barn whatever it may be all right now mark granted this is 110 120 volts single phase and i know what the hertz are and then also i use it because when we do lose power and i'm running my generator i want to make sure that my generator is producing a clean voltage a clean signal that's not going to hurt any of my appliances so i know that my generator my briggs has produce actually if the voltage output is more fixed than jcp and l it'll produce like 119 it'll be fixed right there and it'll jump between 60 and 61 hertz and i think it's probably interpolating at 60 and a half 
and then the power company actually has more voltage swing about five volts but the power company i've never seen anything vary from 60 hertz but then again when i'm running my generator i'm looking at this i have good data i'm basing it upon what the power company says or not power company has because that's my standard that's my control and i and i i run it off the generator and <clears throat> i could use my lap my, i don't know my computer we could do whatever we want in here and i look and say okay i know nothing went astray in my generator in the field circuits because it's actually it's an alternator not a generator because it produces ac like a car and i know everything is good and i'm running my gen set and i got 119 volts i got 60 hertz beautiful i got a clean enough signal i'm not going to worry about it and then so very 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 important because a lot of people have burned ruined their appliances or ruined their well pump i'm, I'm my well pump i don't want to you know in the middle of winter or anytime wipe out my well pump because it's my well is 345 feet deep i think the pump is in at like 250 so it's not something i'm pulling out by myself and changing a well pump so like i say it's just good you know it's like you're a farmer right you're gonna go out in the field you're gonna walk in your crop you're gonna see what's going on you're gonna grab a leaf you're gonna look for insects you're you know you're gonna uh, on the on the machinery side you're gonna listen to how a machine sounds you're going to uh you're going to uh, open the hood and look what's going on underneath the hood of car, truck, tractor. But to get back to monitoring output, there's a there's a number of these different companies that make them. I think one of the companies that is the most well-known or famous, for lack of better words, I don't know if famous is really a good word for that, but uh, a company that is probably the most uh, most out there, uh, with their product it's it's called kilowatt k-i-l-l and not kilo like kilowatts kilo kilowatt <clears throat> what it basically is it's a and there's other ones also you could look for whichever one you want and you plug it into the, the and it's only for 120 volts i have not found one for 240 you know 220 240 uh, so it's only for 110 volts and when i was bringing up the washing machine thing uh, in the beginning of the show today is you, it's very simple you plug this thing into the wall and then you plug whatever it is the washing machine the tv the toaster the microwave into it it's got a plug so you plug it into it and, you, and it has a digital display and and you could get one that gives you more information you could plug in your <clears throat> you could factor in your cost per kilowatt hour and they'll tell you how much it costs you to run that and what have you i like i mean that's all great if you want a real simplistic one it's going to tell you how many how many uh what it's drawing as far as amperage is concerned what the line voltage is and then the wattage so that's very very nice to have and it's also nice to have so i like to keep into key i would love to have one for my refrigerator but the plug is behind the wall and behind the refrigerator so i'd have to pull the refrigerator out every day to look at it which is not practical but for something but you know also a lot of people keep their computers turned on right they they used to tell you don't shut them off i shut everything off i shut my my, my i have a, a dell desktop i shut it off at night so when, I, when i'm done but anyway people tell you, keep your computer on keep this on this that, and you will be surprised how much some of these memories whether you have like you have one of these highfalutin tvs you have your computer and then you look at it and because remember what farm machinery digest it's not what you make it's what you keep that counts so you be maybe surprised what your christmas lights are drawing you may be surprised what's costing you to run those christmas lights you may be surprised what's costing you to run all different things like you and and, and you know you keeping that computer on so it's like i say i don't want you to think that i go nuts with this i mean i guess to some people i do go nuts but that's the engineer in me i love that because i love efficiencies and i love to see machinery whether it's machine or electronic is it running efficient and doing this what's going on i love to be in harmony with an intimate with it but in a practical sense even if you're not as passionate about it as i am which i which is fine but you know the the mission of this show is to make the american farmer and the canadian 
farmer and rancher or the, anybody who listens around the world always whenever i say that it is no disrespect to anyone from another country you should love your country as much as i love mine and you should be as proud so when i say i'm for the american farmer and rancher it's only because i'm an american but i'm pulling for the guy in scandinavia and the guy in canada and the guy and, and the guy in ireland and australia and like i said you should love your country and be just as passionate about it as i am about my beloved america and you should be as passionate about your beloved australia or england or germany or what have you but anyway i want to prosper you and the thing is that if you're if you could buy it and i think that kilowatt thing costs like 28 dollars i mean it's not expensive they have them in like home depots and lows they i believe they have them in tractor supply they have them in harbor freight i mean it's not overly expensive and even if you don't want to use it as a diagnostic tool all right that you keep it say okay let me see figure out what it's costing me to run this electric heater let me see what it's costing me to keep this computer plugged in let me see you know, we got the farm office and we're keeping this plugged in that plugged in we have three computers plugged in you may find that it's costing you two dollars a day to keep that plugged in for no reason all right you may find out that your tv set when it's off is costing you a dollar fifty a day to run it i mean to keep it off so the thing basically is is that it's all good data and as i was saying in the beginning any businessman and we have to look at a farm or ranch as a business because it is but even if it's not a business you have you you work in a factory in town and you're just listening to this show you live out in the country or you live in manhattan you know why do you want to waste something and if you could make a decision you have to have numbers to make a decision so you could say well i don't give a damn that it costs me a dollar a day to keep this computer plugged in i don't care well that's a <clears throat> that's a hundred percent fine that's your prerogative there's nothing wrong with that once you know what the number is and you accept it so if you know the number and you accept it don't think it's costing you 10 cents a day to keep it plugged in and it's actually costing you three dollars a day that's when you don't that's not smart business if you say hey, it cost me this you know it's you know it cost me this and i don't give a damn so it cost me that right and that's fine that's great but you know what it's actually costing you and that's the premise of what i'm trying to accomplish with you in your farm shop with your machinery you know is that we need to minimize our cost per acre we need to minimize our cost per hour we need to minimize our cost per per mile because oftentimes and with rare exception those inefficiencies they chomp and they erode at that bottom line and whether the bottom line is for your farm or ranch or the bottom line is just what you have in your checkbook and you you work in town at the end of the month because if you could say well fine you know i got this i'm using the keeping things plugged in i got this plugged in <clears throat> and i'm doing this and it's costing me an extra $35 a month and I'd rather spend that $35 a month on something else or give it to charity or what have you that's your prerogative once you have the data you make your own decision so what I'm talking about on today's show is to is to recognize energy usage energy uses with an internal combustion engine gasoline or diesel energy usage on your heating system energy usage on an appliance energy usage on anything in the shop i mean your grain dryer if you're running a grain dryer i mean you want to know you got to figure you know what it costs you to run that per hour you have to have that number all right because because it not only is going to show inefficiencies in your business but as i started to say is that if you have good data foundational data when that and i'm not saying one little spike in something we say man historically i used to use this much you know this much fuel oil this much you know propane in my grain dryer and now i'm using this well that something is wrong right and then it's a canary in the coal mine and that canary in the coal mine when it starts to chirp and sing that something is wrong it is always the most beneficial and the most economical for you to research and try to find out what's wrong then until it goes really really bad and you know that's the whole idea like in right with agronomy 
do a do a do a uh, a tissue test do a sap test find out what the plant needs before it visually shows you because if you wait till it visually shows you you may not be able to turn it around you're going to throw money at it but if once it visually you see this you see a deficiency visually on a crop i mean i'm no agronomist but i know that once you see it baby the yield is gone i mean you may do a little bit to come back with it but the yield is gone so you don't look for any 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 uh bin busting yields this year if you let they go and the same thing happens with your machinery you start to see an engine it start to use more fuel you you you, you, you know hey what's going on over here let's see what's happening and if you put that all together all right all together in your business and you be mindful of it it doesn't have to consume your life you just be mindful of it you will be surprised how many metaphorical metaphoric leaky windows you will find in your home and i don't mean that the windows are actually leaking but places that the money is going out that the efficiencies are going out and you know and keep in mind with electrical things if you're drawing more amperage it's not the voltage that builds heat it's the amperage that builds heat so if you have something that's drawing more amperage then even let's say you go back to the to the washing machine so let's say the bearing is starting to go bad on the idler pulley for the belt if it has a minus direct drive but whatever i'm just making up something here i mean not making it up using an example and now instead of drawing 10 amps that thing is drawing 14 or 15 amps well 14 or 15 amps into a tw- oh, let's say 12 amps instead of 10 amps that's 20 percent more amperage that's probably akin to 20 percent more heat going into that motor forget about the electric company loves you they give you the power for free hey hey ray turn the thing thing up that makes a difference they give it to you for free we love you right the thing basically is that that's 20 percent more that's probably close to 20 percent more heat it's almost in lockstep into that electric motor which means it's not going to last i mean your infrared gun is a wonderful tool right i mean you're not getting a read but if you know that this this fan on your grain bin dryer this fan in your dairy barn or whatever it may be always runs about whatever making up a number 110 degrees and now you see it's running 130 140 degrees 120 degrees well then again hey is there a bearing going bad is something happening over here and all of those little things are collectively collectively are going to make a huge difference and not only in your expenses because what i always tell people who listen to my shows said i am never going to make you a nickel if i'm never gonna, if you if if you if you if you're looking to come here to make an extra nickel forget about it, you're in the wrong show what i'm going to do is i'm going to save you money because your nickel metaphorically your dollar is made in whatever crop you produce and if you're a truck driver with the miles you drive all right if you have a printing press the things that you print that how much how many how many printing jobs you have but i am going to save you money so it's that's why we say it's not what you make it's what you keep and all of these little things that i'm talking about today on the show are going to be a telltale sign and you know and also it's very important because let's say arguably you're looking at a hydraulic system on a tractor and you're using fluid analysis and you start to see something funky in there well you want to take care of that in the winter all right before you need to go out and run the planter so you know this gives you the heads up and say just like looking at your gas gauge going okay fine i got about 100 miles left and it says you know uh next gas station 50 miles and the next one after that's 500 miles why would i get gas at the next one so it's applying it's it's applying a thought process of applying critical thinking to this and that is what it is all about because if you look at anything in life that is optimized right i don't care whether it's if it's a, if it's a high yield farmer he's 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 making love to every aspect of that plant through its whole growing cycle right if it's an engine guy you don't look to find you know i used to build race engines you don't look to find 100 horsepower you look to find a uh, one horsepower in 100 places if you were able to find the 100 horsepower and that thing was so screwed up in the beginning you're not even in the right ballpark so if you're a drag racer right you're looking you're not looking to take a second off a time you're looking to take off tenths of a second 10 tenths of a second right and then then you get your one second so the thing everything is incremental and things go 
better incrementally and also they start to usually go bad incrementally and by monitoring the temperature the energy specifically this show is about energy usage it's going to point to something that is starting to go astray and you could most likely catch it before it becomes a major major problem so now that i drove you nuts with this if you have any questions reach out to me you want to argue with me you want to tell me i'm nuts you want to tell me I'm a wacko, right? The thing is that uh, all I could do is present it to you. You apply what works for you, but then again, it's a thought process numbers, and you don't have to record these numbers. You have to, I mean, if you, you say, that, I could say you have an idea of what's what's going on, and then if, it, if you want to record it, that's great, but you have an idea of what's going on. That's most important to have an idea of what's going on. So what we're going to do now is get Tex Rubinowitz in from Ripsaw Records. Come on, Tex. Well, I'm a rolling daddy with a mean machine. It's got a V8 motor. It sure is clean. I'm a hot rod man. Yeah, I'm a hot rod man. Look out, little mama, gonna get you if I... All right, thank you so much, Tex. Right, here's our toolbox test question. It's a beautiful but very hot late spring day, and your wife is planning on going to visit her sister about 100 miles away. You suggest that she takes your 1995 Corvette convertible since it needs a long ride, and she could drop the top and get an early start on her tan while she drives. Agreeing that it is a great idea, she asks if the car has gas in it. You told her not to worry that it has about seven-eighths of a tank, that you filled it up that nice day in March. The vet gets great fuel economy, so all she needs to do is have fun. She's got more than enough fuel to get there and back more than once. The car runs great on the way to her sister's, and she has a spectacular time. When she goes out to start the engine to come back to the farm, no luck. It cranks fine but does not run. So she calls you. Upset that she is stranded, you call a few friends to see what they think. Farmer 8 tells you that the ignition module failed and that is why the engine does not run. Farmer B believes that the fuel pump died. Farmer C says that the gas gauge must be wrong and the car is simply out of fuel. And Farmer D takes a very analytical approach and says since the gas is a winter blend and it is a very hot day, it vapor locked in the fuel rail. So you think about that and what I'm going to do is I'm not going to read a letter. I had someone contact me the other day and he's out in um, Texas. He used to be in Colorado, has a little Ford Ranger and he says that it has uh, a lack of power he says it runs fine starts fine does everything has a lack of power he threw a lot of parts at it he put uh, a new timing belt that's got about 200 something thousand miles i think it was a 98 or a 99 200,000 miles to something i don't know 240 250 uh he changed the he changed basically all the tuner parts changed the oxygen sensor uh, they're all ford parts and he says and he has a scanner and he was looking at the scanner and he says that it that it idles at about six degrees of advance and he confirmed that with a timing light and as soon as he gets in the throttle that it uh that the timing retards a lot there's no knock center on so i he gave me his telephone number so i had a conversation with a nice conversation he's from colorado i think he's from texas originally lived in colorado for a number of years the truck is from colorado and he's back down in texas and he says it gets worse in the hot weather so after talking to him quite a bit and uh going back and forth with this dialogue and one phone call is that i had said to him that i think and and then again these are data points for your diagnostic thought process i said i think that you're leading yourself astray by looking at the timing being going retarded as soon as you open a throttle and the engine is boggy and that really revving up and what have you and uh it I, it doesn't really bog or uh, with no load on it but with a load so 
I said to him, and I said, I may be wrong, and he's going to look into it, so I'm going to tell you this, and if I do hear back from him, I'll give you a follow-up in a subsequent show. I said, did you buy the truck new? He says, no, I bought the truck with 120,000 miles on again. Then again, you see, that's a data point, all right? It's something you keep in the back of your mind. So then I said to him, all righty, uh, how many, he says, so he, he put about 100,000 miles on it. He says, the truck was about, it was like that more or less when he got it. And he said that it was more or less like there was a pig when he got as far, as far as power is concerned. And But he's lived through it and it seems to be getting a little bit worse. And he goes, and it's really bad in the summer when the weather is hot. So uh, I said, okay. And that's what the, so I, he said, I, I said, was it, when the person you bought it from was that you know did they buy it new he says yes it was an old man and he bought it new and he scraped the side and then he took they decided his kids took away his license that he wasn't going to drive anymore so i said okay i said i may be a thousand percent wrong but with all the parts that you changed and all the things that you checked on this and checked the compression on the engine and what have you and it doesn't seem like it's an electrically induced problem or a mechanical problem per se i said what i think based upon that and i may be a thousand percent wrong is that if you look at this scenario he's an 85 or 90 year old guy he bought it new he was old when he bought it he did put 100 he put he added many years so he's putting about 10 to 12 thousand miles a year i said i think that the intake valves are loaded up with carbon i said i think the valves are loaded up with carbon and they're choking off the port so there's very little airflow going into the engine in that particular scenario it'll run fine It'll idle fine. It'll do everything fine, but it will be like you breathing with a with a with a clogged nose. So I said, I think that he had a lot of short trip cycles on it, and it really carboned up the valves. He probably never put anything in it to clean the valves off. Uh, it's a product like Tecron or some other brand that's going to clean the intake valves off and the and the, the the combustion chamber. So I said, that's what I think it is. And I said, I'm and if I'm right, I'm no hero i said but you did such a thorough job of checking everything else and i said and why i think you're being led astray with the timing is because the timing command is part of an algorithm i said it's going to look at the mass airflow sensor it's going to look at the throttle angle and it's going to look at the engine rpm if the engine if if the engine is restricted airflow restricted internally from the valves being carpeted up you're opening the throttle it's not making any power so now the calibration is saying well this guy's got 40 percent throttle He's at 1,800 RPM and there's very little airflow. All right, very little airflow at that particular scenario. It's going to want retarded or it's not It's not going to want a lot of timing. So that's only responding to the airflow being limited because what's happening is you're opening the throttle more and it looks at degrees of throttle opening. All right, and it, it says a lot of throttle opening, but there's no RPM and there's no airflow. So I think that it's got the valves are so carbon that if I've seen this on engines and I've spoken about this on the show before, that they're so carboned up that they're really, really choking the airflow off and specifically at low lift. Because if there's a lot of carbon on those valves as that well cam follow its overhead cam or valve lift that tap it whatever you want to call it as it starts to ride up on that lobe and open the valve there's no airflow there it's all carbon up it's blocked so it's not so it's not really flowing until it gets to three quarters lift so you're basically just giving the engine enough air and it'll idle it'll do everything fine but it'll be like breathing through a straw so if i find out from him i will keep you in the loop but that's a very very common common scenario now let me get back to our toolbox test question and then we will wrap it up okay farmer d has the most likely cause now keep in mind that farmer a said the ignition module failed farmer b said the fuel the fuel pump died and farmer c says the gas gauge is wrong all right well out of the those three farmers I would throw Farmer C off because because in this particular instance, the owner of the car, the, the woman's husband said he filled it up. He was he knew whether the gas gauge worked or not. All right, so we'll take him off the equation. And your farm race says the module could have died, and the other one says the fuel pump. And those are possibilities. So we're not so, but we can what is the most likely cause? So farmer D, all right, says 
that heat. So Farmer D has the most likely cause. Winter fuel is blended for cold weather. So if we go back to our statement, is that the the vet was, and I only chose a Corvette to make it interesting and what have you, but also because the hood closes, there's very little space underneath and the under hood temperature goes very high in those, but like a lot of modern vehicles, but I use that to make it an interesting story for you, All right? So, and it's, we said that the, that, that the vet was filled up with gas in March, and in most areas of the country that experience a winter from October to around the middle of April is winter blended gas. So the vet was filled up in March. The guy's wife was a hot day in the spring. We get those, right? 90, we had some days in about 10 years ago. I think it was like in April, it was 102 degrees. So she gets in the vet. She's going to drop the top. She's going to go see her sister. Beautiful top down, right? All right, so now when she started the car, the car was cold, ambient temperature, the gasoline was cold. So now she goes to see her sister. You have summer bl winter blend gas in there. She shuts the car off. It heat soaks underneath the hood, and the fuel boils in the rail because the vapor pressure of the winter fuel is different than the vapor pressure of summer fuel so it's going to be very easy to boil because they want to vaporize at a higher rate in the cold weather so now what happens is the fuel vapor boils becomes vapor locked in the fuel rail and you she goes to crank the engine and there's no fuel so this is the response the winter fuel is blended for cold weather and the very warm day caused it to vapor lock in the fuel rail when the engine was shut off you need to release the vapor pressure via the schrader valve that's on the fuel rail test port or crank the engine over long enough after it cools down to have the vapor bleed out through the injectors <laughs> So it's a very, very, very common problem. Specifically, if you have an <clears throat> engine, you may have the have a, a generator, right? Like I have, and you have winter fuel in it. And now the winter fuel is it's it's a it's a hundred degrees, and you lose the power, and the thing starts fine, but then you shut it off for a while, and the heat soaks doesn't want to start. Very common with gasoline engines, specifically on a car and why i say on a car or a pickup truck is because of the lack of real estate for on newer things for the heat to dissipate so if you have like an engine on a seed tender well it's kind of out in the open it's going to give off the heat sooner than the wood in a car you she took the vet the hood is closed a lot of heat under there you have a new modern gasoline pickup truck right it's got twin turbos on it they're all this other stuff with no a lot of heat underneath the hood you go do the same scenario you go to start it doesn't want to start because it vapor locked the winter blend fuel if the farmer didn't have march put fuel in in march and if he probably and even if it was early spring and the wife went to the gas station and bought in new jersey it's april 15th or so and it was april 1st she'd still get winter blend fuel and the same thing would happen so keep in mind the dynamics specifically of winter blend fuel in the hot weather and high under hood temperatures because that's what the fuel is seeing the under hood temperatures and there's a whole discipline called hot fuel handling and engineering when you're doing calibration and conversely if you have summer fuel in something and it's 10 degrees below zero and you want to start your generator or start where you filled up your your snow blower in july or all i'm gonna get this thing ready for the winter and it sits there and i don't care whether you put a stabilizer it makes a difference it's the chemical dynamics of the fuel as far as its rate of vaporization is concerned and now it's 10 below zero and the snow blower doesn't want to start because you have summer blend fuel and so keep that in mind all right and <clears throat> that's why i put these elements into these toolbox test questions to make it a true learning experience so i want to thank you so much for for listening today and i want you to know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher my beloved beloved america may you have a blessed day may god keep you safe and i'll catch you next time bye bye